Thank you, Wendy. So my name is Daisha Bush, and I'm going to start us out quickly to try to set the tone. I want everyone to relax. <laughs> Perfectionism is not something I suffer from, so I'm going to ask you all to kind of relax and feel free to make lots of mistakes. This is the lots of mistakes space right here. I say that because whenever you talk about religion, like race, people can get a little uneasy. So let me just set a little tone so you can know where Emily and I are coming from. So first of all, we're speaking from our own lived experience. So we are not claiming to be experts of all people that look like us, relate like us, or even sound like us. So just know when we share stuff, we are not coming across as experts, but those who are expert in what we feel is best in our lives. And so we hope to gain something from you all in being honest and authentic also. We hope that awkward silence falls in here somewhere along the lines. And if it does, we ask for you all's patience with that. Ask lots of questions. At least for me, there are no bad or dumb questions. So if something pops up for you, please ask. You can use the chat. And then I won't guarantee we can get to them all because we're on a time limit. But just put it in there in case we can get to it at a later time. Uh, we can agree to disagree. So something that makes me a wonderful person may make you a horrible person. And guess what? We can still coexist. So just keep that in mind. When we speak to Christianity or our God, we're speaking to however you want that to land for you. So we can be God. It can be Christianity. It can be spirituality. It can be whatever that means to you, a deity or not. But when we speak to that, that's what we're referring to. Please try to learn from each other. We're hoping that we leave out with some tools and examples of ways we can continue to develop our relationship with our chosen God and how we can take these tools to fight white supremacy culture. And then also, although it is your right to not share your wonderful faces, Emily and I ask that you please do share your video so we can see if you're falling asleep on us or not. No, we just want to test our engagement. Since Zoom is limiting us from being in space together, it's just nice to see people's faces. So if you don't mind, show your face. But if not, we respect your right to decide what's best for you. And lastly, please do use the chat. We have wonderful assistants that are going to try to help us um, get your questions when things come up as we move forward. Okay, Emily. All right. Thank you, Daisha. I love that we're starting a quotes thing in the chat already. This is, this is the lots of mistakes place. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so usually um, when we do the open table, we have someone that kind of starts with the grounding piece. And Daisha and I both agree that we would be the ones to start with this grounding piece. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us through the examine, which is spelled E-X-A-M-E-N, which was a method of prayer um, that's been attributed to St. Ignatius of Loyola, um, which is a great name. And I highly recommend for any of you guys, if you get a dog or a cat anytime soon, call it Ignatius. Um, so I was uh, introduced to the examine by a, um, by a Instagram account. Uh, it is at Cobbleworks, which I think we're gonna put in the chat, it is an Instagram um, of Jen Wilhoyt. I believe that's how you say her last name. I have been in correspondence with her, but I didn't ask her how to say her last name. That's awful. Um, but she draws little comics about the examine. And I love it because it makes me think of this version of God. She just has a little heart that's love and then the little potato that's you. So 
I'm going to walk us through this and I'm going to show you the cards. She also has an Etsy shop where you can buy things. And if you want to support her, I highly, um, I highly recommend it because she has been really amazing. Um, the other thing is we are going to have a downloadable PDF of this, um, of this practice she made. So Jen Cobbleworks made a downloadable version of this um, so that we can have it for our own practice. So we will have that um, also in um, the chatter or somewhere we'll link to that so you can have that as a resource. It's really great. She made it just for us. So that's really cool. So here we go. We're going to start the exam. And the first thing that you do is you start by giving thanks. Start with grateful. So if you can think of two or three things that you're grateful for today. The second thing that we do now is think back through your day. What happened today? Review your day. I like to do it in chronological order because that's the easiest for me, but whatever sticks out or jumps out, just think about what happened today. And as you're thinking about what happened today, then this little third step is reflect. So there are times in your day where you felt closer to love or God, or you felt farther away from love or God. In this particular, um, Jen calls it places of desolation or places of consolation. And she has questions. And I want to read this one because this is going to help. Uh, it connects to our conversation, but it's also a great question. So when you're thinking of those places where you felt closer to love or farther away from love, this question says, when did I participate in something that was beneficial for everyone? That might be a place that you felt closer to love or God. Or in places of desolation, when was I in a situation that assisted on winners and losers. So if you think back about today, when were times where you did things that were beneficial for others? And when were times when you were in something that insisted on winners and losers? I love that wording a lot because I think we do that a lot and find ourselves in those situations. So that's reflection. When you are reflecting on the day, and maybe you were in a situation that insisted on winners or losers, then there might be something that we need to mend. So that's step four. Is there something that you need to mend from the day? And then the, the ask is go and mend it, right? And Step five, as you thought about the day and the ways that you felt closer or further behind, what are your intentions now? What are your intentions for the next day? If you had a place of desolation that you want to walk in and find what the intentions is to not get to that place again, maybe um, this is where you connect to uh, you connect to your work, you connect to the work of being an anti-racist, 
and you think, what are my intentions for the next day? And the last step is you end with gratitude again. So you start and end with the thankfulness. So you can think of new things or you can think of those three things that you thought before. But that's the examine. That's, uh, that's it. And you can, there's a lot of people who have written some different ones that you can kind of take steps in, put steps out, different ways like that. Um, but it's been super helpful for me right now at this place in my life. And I really appreciate um, Jen and her sharing on her Instagram and her willingness to um, send us a whole PDF so we can do it. So I do that at night before I go to bed. I most of the time fall asleep before I get done. That's okay. <laughs> um, but that is what I wanted to share with you. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna uh, throw it back to Daisha. Feel like a weather reporter. Back to you. And I'm gonna take it. It's a storm coming, all right? Let's go. So we're gonna have you all work in groups, but I wanna give you an outline of how we're gonna do this. So Emily and I wanted to keep it simple. So we're doing a little kissing this afternoon. We did not wanna to lecture to you all, because really we came here to steal information from you all, just like you're here to steal information from us. And so what I mean by that is, we're gonna have four simple questions that we're gonna have everyone go out in group and discuss for about 10 minutes. And then we ask that you come back and share with us. And we do put emphasis on share with us. Now, if you choose to do it verbally or via the chat, for those who are Zooming, that's absolutely fine. And then we even have people looking out on the live to give us some of the questions and comments that may pop up there too. The four questions, just to kind of give you all a heads up. The first one is, Emily and I are gonna share with you all our definitions of it. And then we're gonna encourage you to do the same in your groups and just kind of share with each other the perspective you're coming from. So the first question we're gonna address is, what is your Christianity, your spirituality? What does that mean to you? What are some core components of what that is? The second question we will discuss is, what does mysticism mean to you? When we talk about this mysticism type of interaction with our God, with our deity, what does that even mean to you? The third question is gonna be around the white supremacy culture characteristics that we were asked to address. And we were asked to address two of them, rugged individualism and objectivity. And then the fourth question is gonna be, what are some take homes? What are some things that you do that help you juggle both being a Christian, spiritual, or whatever you identify it from a religious framework? How do we juggle all that? That piece with fighting racism and then also taking time to build that relationship with our God, or that, or, or what, is, what does that look like? So that's kind of the four prompts that we're gonna ask you all to discuss. We also ask, because 10 minutes is not a long time to bond, that we not sit in silence too long. Silence is good, but not too long. <laughs> so we ask that people jump in and get the group started so we can come back and have some true, true conversation and sharing with each other. So with that said, I'm going to just share my definition of Christianity. And this is a quick, shortened piece, you all. Um, so three things that are important to me when, we, when I talk about my Christianity is the Trinity. So I do believe in the God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Also, for me, Christianity gives me hope. And it also gives me the ability to be forgiven and to give forgiveness. Those are three core, core important things for me. Uh, without also adding in fellowship, that's important too. So Emily, I'll let you go and then I'll move us into Okay, perfect. Um, 
Yeah. So when I think about three or four core beliefs for me, important to me as a Christian, my Christianity, um, the first one is I just think about Jesus. Um, that kind of is what I look to for my inspiration. Um, the second thing is unconditional love. I think that is really important to me and important to us and how we don't understand that, but we try to get close to it. Um, and then I think the third one um, I wrote was empathy. And I know that sometimes it's hard for us to have empathy with others, but I think it's important for us to really strive to understand each other or at least know that there is a place that the other person is talking from that we can't be, but we need to understand that they're from a place that we aren't. Um, so those are, those are kind of my three right now. I think they change sometimes, but, but for right now, those are mine. So we're going to send everyone in group for 10 minutes to discuss the same and just kind of pull out those core beliefs, those core things that kind of ground you and your beliefs around spirituality, Christianity, your God, and so on and so forth. And then we'll come back and ask you all to share a couple of people to share, and then we'll move on to the next. Yeah. <laughs> for the Facebook live group, um, Emily and I decided that we were just going to have a conversation with you all. So we've got someone watching your chat comments if you have questions or additions, but we were just going to pretty much talk it out. So that way you're not staring at just our faces while we wait for the other groups to come back. So we've got about 10 minutes to bond with you all so that you have a sense of connection too. So I'll start since this was my section to begin with. Um, Christianity for me is seriously, is, is very, very serious. Like to have this discussion at, um, this way is really kind of challenging for me because it's a very intimate and private part of my life. And anybody that knows me personally knows that I'm super duper private. But at the same time, I'm always excited to talk about my relationship with God and to talk about fighting race. Like, wow, this is like an ice cream with cherry on the top. And so for me, uh, my Christianity is super important. Like it guides what I do and how I do. Now, I'm not saying I'm a perfect person. I make a lot of mistakes, but it, it keeps me grounded and it helps me focus. And it also teaches me to be not only more graceful with myself, but with others that make mistakes or hurt me, if you want to go that far. So, and as it relates to racism, um, as you can imagine, as an African-American woman, I get hurt a lot. And I have people who, like my husband and my brother and my father, who also could potentially be hurt. And so um, religion and Christianity is kind of what holds me up. And I believe it's the thing of people who struggle. I mean, for me, religion is that thing that keeps you from going insane when times get really hard. And so that's pretty important to me. And I'll just stop there just as kind of an intro to dig a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that sharing. No, that's really, that's really good. I like what you said about um, being able to lean on that um, in different times of like people hurting you or doing things like that. I think that's really key. Um, I'm kind of in a, I, uh, I am in a interesting space right now with my Christianity because uh, I am trying to unlearn a lot of the things that I learned growing up in a, in a, um, non-denominational, um, but like pretty white church, uh, we held, we weren't evangelical, but a lot of that leaked in, um, 
you know, so there's a lot of things that right now I'm like, one of the reasons I like that cobble works is because the picture of God is just the little heart and it's love. And I go that I can do that. That's really good right now because I grew up, you know, like probably most people did. God was, you know, an old white dude with a beard. Um, and you know, up in the sky somewhere looking very stern and like, (laughs) um, so, uh, so just the different, just the, the looking at God differently has been very helpful to my Christianity right now because it's, it's hard. It's hard. So yeah. So that's kind of where I am as far as that is just trying to unlearn things. I like how you said an old white dude with a beard because, uh, (laughs) I've decided to make Jesus a cool dude with an afro. So therefore, when I'm talking to the man, he looks like me. <laughs> Are I there love it. comments from Facebook Live or anything that we should be noted? No, we're good. Okay. okay. All right. Just checking, uh, just checking in. That's funny because right now um, I'm really trying to, if <laughs> like if I if I'm praying or doing something, I'm trying to picture uh, RuPaul, like God is RuPaul. Cause I feel like RuPaul is very like a good, yeah. Maddie likes that. Maddie and Latia are enjoying that. Um, Cause I feel like uh, RuPaul transcends many binaries. So that's very, I think that's a very good picture for me. <laughs> you know, to be honest, Emily, that's kind of my thing too, because for me, um, especially like when I'm praying or needing a time to spend alone with God, God can be my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, my best friend, somebody I can't stand, like literally all those relationships. And so you're right. Well, I don't actually have a hardcore face when I'm praying, but those relationships of how I connect with God are all there, all types Mm. of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good, I think we get caught up a lot in like, I don't know, like God, the father and referenced as like, but like for a lot of people, I know that doesn't quite hit home that they're like, well, I had a really crappy dad or I don't like, I don't get, I don't have, you know, so it's, it's nice to think about, yeah. What does God, the sister look like or God as whatever, you know, brother, Whatever. Mind, too, the God, my father is not the God, the real biological God that helped make me. So <laughs> my dad is good or bad. That's not who I'm talking to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. Hello. So I, I got a comment on Facebook. Says, okay. Jesus, Jesus is my personal superhero. Okay. So Jesus says superhero. Okay. All right. I love it. I love God as uh, God as superhero. It reminds me of that. There's that uh, the Jesus superhero man that always goes to the Royals games, and he's got the cape on and like the Jesus and the hat, and like he's kind of like a Jesus. He's at all the games, so um, I call him Black Superman Jesus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he's fantastic, and he's always on the camera because he's always like busting a move everywhere, like. Dancing Jesus. Okay, got it. Dance, yeah, yeah. Dancing Jesus. <laughs> I love it. No, I I think that's fantastic. I love. I want to write a bunch of children's books about like God as woman, God as the color blue, God as you know, because I think that would help expand what we think of. 
I love the God as superhero, but for me, I'm a little hesitant with that one because I don't want God to become like a genie, you know, give me three wishes and life will be good for me. So yeah. while I talk to God in all those different relationships, there are many of times where he's ignored me. So I would say, or my calls go to voicemail and uh, <laughs> So I have to wait a while to get some of the fruits of what I've asked for. So yeah. but it's just good to have that kind of imaginary lap to just kind of be me, my full, raw, you know, uncensored self. It's just really comforting. And it happens in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think God can, can handle that and wants to handle that, right? Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, yep. I have... I have cussed up a storm at God several times in my life. (laughs) Me too. Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he definitely can handle that. The questions, the frustrations and hurt, all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Another comment on Facebook. Okay. Uh, Clarifying the superhero. Being a superhero means to me the ultimate picture of looking up to someone. All right. All right. All right. I like that. That is kind of, yeah having that example. I see that, I see that. So welcome back everyone. I think we're waiting for about five more people to pop back. For those of you all who are back with your groups, feel free to share in the chat what you all came up with. What were some of those core key components that people were sharing out um, in your groups? And Emily and I would try to watch the Zoom. And then as you all are sharing, we'll just kind of throw out some stuff and say, hey, would you mind expanding on that? And if anyone is ready verbally to share at the same time, we welcome that too. And please share you all, none of this being mute and just smiling at us. Come on, let's hear it. Let's see, oh, okay, here we go, here we go. A couple common themes were connection and love. That's from Darcy. Okay. Uh, Angela, grace and forgiveness. Okay. Kathy Miller, love and compassion, the golden rule. So what I have found is when people share their religious beliefs or things that make them who they are, they always share the good mushy stuff. So you don't see things like correction and, (laughs) you know, I got smacked upside the head. I love that about my religion. No one ever says that. And we all know when you talk about love, that that's a part of it. And so that's really where we wanted to go with the Christianity, that all of these things you all have said, service, acceptance, the journey that never ends until the day we take our last breath is all a part of our beliefs and makes us the good people that we are. But there's also some sharpening and some horrible things that go along with that too. So keep that in mind as we continue to progress through the questions. All right, Emily, I'm gonna pass it to you now. Okay. I'm looking through, I have, I have a question. I'm, so I'm looking through all of these. I love you guys are sharing in the chat and I'm looking through all of these. Um, I am interested, Tony wrote, having to live out paradox. And I'm just interested in knowing a little bit more about that. If Tony would feel comfortable sharing, maybe verbally. Sure. Okay, cool. Uh, forgive the fact that I don't have video when my computer's locking up when I turn it on. So I apologize for that. No problem. Um, one of the things we were talking about is, you know, Jesus sometimes was the enforcer of the rules and also the breaker of the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes he was very loving, and then sometimes he was yelling at people. And he is both fully human and then fully divine. So living out those, that, uh, and accepting that 
you know, sometimes we ourselves are absolutely the nicest person as far as we know, and yet we're the meanest person to ourselves, and, and, and one of the negative things that we do. So those kinds of paradoxes that are, are involved with the... Cool. Cool. Thank you, Tony, for sharing more about that, because, yeah, I... I love that Jesus sometimes was the most loving person. And then sometimes Jesus was yelling and we forget that Jesus yelled. He withered a whole fig tree because he was pissed off at it. <laughs> um, so yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just making sure that I'm getting through you guys. Thank you for sharing in the chat. This is so great. Peace in Jesus, a resting place, connection to others and our deepest self more so than adherence to particular theologies. Thank you, Hannah, for doing that. Um, connection and grace, reforming and expanding on our ideas. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, good. I love, these are great answers. Savannah, deconstruction and decolonization. Savannah, can you say just a little bit more about that and connect that? Yeah, um, I think, so I don't personally identify as a Christian, but I was a Christian for quite some time. So I think spirituality to me yeah means like deconstructing a lot of the um the things i believed as a christian and like what values do i still hold and what what pieces of my beliefs were informed by colonization i'm um, in by like growing up and and learning and kind of embodying these like white christian um values or beliefs um yeah so i think a lot of the work of finding what I um, believe or like what a spiritual practice looks like involves um, yeah deconstructing those things and also yeah decolonizing what I think spirituality is and religion and yeah. Define wow. colonization. What do you mean by colonization? Um, I mean I think about like the way that Christianity um, perpetuated violence by like one like robbing people of cultures or already held beliefs um and just kind of yeah like this sort of missionary um mindset of like you need to believe this and this is the right way to believe or the right thing to believe in um yeah so um yeah, yeah I think when I think about colonization as far as like a like, like, yeah, a religious or spiritual kind of robbing of um, folks, like, beliefs that were already there. Thanks, Savannah, for, for doing that, um, for, for explaining that and doing that. Yeah, that makes me think of um, where I live. We're really close to Shawnee Mission, which is named after the Shawnee Methodist Indian Mission, which was a Methodist school for native and indigenous children but what that really meant was come and learn how to be white so that i i hear that um yeah it sounds like sounds like we have some of the same things going on so um interesting <laughs> thank you for sharing um so we want to i want to get we're trying to be uh really looking at the time, also trying to do rhythm over time, but holding those, another one of those great paradoxes that uh, Tony was talking about. Um, so uh, we want to move on to question number two. 
So our second question is, what is your definition of mysticism? And I'll just share what mine is, which I've had to come into over the past couple of weeks, because when they asked if I would like to speak about mysticism, I was like, cool, what is it? <laughs> um, so we had to do a lot of research and still like it is mysterious as it sounds. There's not. Um, so for me, what I came up with is mysticism talks to how we or how I um, commune or communicate with uh, the divine, the transcendent, or with God. So how am I experiencing, communicating, or communing with God, which is very different for me depending on my stage of life. Um, so like the exam and I told you was something I'm doing right now that's very helpful for me as I'm in this unlearning, uh, unlearning some of the things that have been uh, hammered into me. So um, that's kind of my... Yeah, that's my definition right now. Daisha? Yeah, mine is just solitude. Like when I can remove myself from the busyness of life and interactions and relationships and responsibilities, just a space to kind of allow God to talk to me, fuss at me, correct me, or say nothing and just sit in silence. And I will tell you all, I really prefer listening to music when I'm in solitude, but there are times in which nothingness is just as powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I like that where God can fuss at me. I like that a lot. Um, so we're going to put you back in your breakout rooms and we'd like you to talk to each other. And once again, keep in mind that we are going to ask you to kind of share out when we come back, but we want you to talk to each other about what your definition of mysticism is. How are you communing, communicating, experiencing the divine right now and hopefully that looks different for all y'all and you can um learn from each other and talk to each other about that so when you come back then we'll learn from each other some more okay i got a response on facebook again for definition sherry um interconnectedness between all of life and god as well as the still small voice Oh, interconnectedness. I love that word. Um, when we was looking up mysticism, because Emily is totally correct. We was like, huh? <laughs> I would just say, I'm going to say a very biased and appropriate thing right now. Black folk don't speak mysticism. So I was like, what? This is some white people stuff. So anyway, to be appropriate, let me correct myself. So when we looked it up, I just decided to start looking up different cultures. So I went to indigenous, I went to like Native Americans, I went to Jewish, I went to Muslim, because I wanted to see what is this relationship with everybody's God mean? And interconnectedness is so powerful when I heard the information from the Native Americans, because the tree, the grass, the rain, people, relationships, all of that, we all need each other. And if without one, then the other suffers. And so that assimilation and colonization calls all of us to be removed from that is just, it's horrible. It's just horrible. And so Christianity has a really powerful place in my life, but it also has some nasty history, at least as it relates to this country. And so I love that interconnectedness word. That's absolutely true. That's, uh, yeah, interconnectedness. How lovely. And how, what a good, like, antithesis of what we're talking about as far as going into like individualism and objectivity, right? Like, no, we are interconnected. And that's a great, that's a great way 
to put it. Um, yeah, I love that. So thank you for whoever I shared think that. This, uh, while we're thinking of things that coexist in both good and bad space, I think this pandemic has forced our country to be in solitude and to reflect and to think. And I think that when we're forced to do that, then it causes you to recap and process and reflect on some decisions that you made, decisions that you have to make in the future, relationships. Um, if you look the, at the news, you'll see that many people have either lost relationships or gained new ones that they didn't have before because it's forced us to connect in a different way. And I, okay. I just think that solitude, man, I mean, I hate to say it, but typically most of us get an aha moment when we're either near death or sick as crap because we can't do anything. We can't do anything but just sit around and be in space and think. So yeah, I think yeah. it's a powerful thing. I think that, yeah, for sure the pandemic has peeled back. Mm -hmm. It's like peeling back just these layers of things that we, that we were just comfortable with or not paying attention to or, and, and it does make us have to sit around and kind of go, well, I can't do things I normally want to do. And like, and we hate it. Like we can tell because there are people trying to like not, do it right. No, I don't want to be alone with myself. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, and I get it. Like, my mind is super. Like, when you said, I, oh God, Dish, I related it so much when you're like, you, I, I really like to have music when I'm trying to be in solitude. Cause, like, man, it is hard to be in silence with my brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hard. Yep. But yep. important. And that discernment is important because we have very selfish fleshly needs and happiness that we seek. And a lot of times that's in direct conflict of our beliefs and loving people. And so we kind of feel like we can do what we want to do and it's okay because it feels good. And it's like, I know. So that's what I mean by let God fuss at me that there's a lot of times where I'm like, yeah, I know I'm right and blah, blah, blah. And this little voice comes from somewhere and says, ah, mm -mm, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> remember that sermon, remember that lesson, remember that person. It's like crap, Ola. Like, so yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Wendy put in our chat here, uh, our modern, uh, one modern teacher from the black tradition is Dr. Barbara Holmes. Check out her book, Joy Unspeakable, Contemplative Practices of the Black Church, and then put a link there. So um, awesome. We have a good resource. I can't tell you how many books I was just talking to someone the other day. I was like, I can't buy any more books. I have too many that I haven't read. And every time I buy more, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I have 70 on my shelf I haven't read. But I'm like, oh, now I want to buy her book. <laughs> yeah, I, I make myself read the Bible. Like I can, I, I like other interpretations and other people's opinions, but I also like to base a lot of my learnings on that. Because again, if I get too into what I think I should do, I know that that pulls me away from what I should be doing. So I think like um, mysticism, it is just as mysterious as it sounds. It is like people who have actively chosen to be like just trying to experience God and, and just like, how do I do that? You know? Um, I don't, it's really interesting. Like I was trying to read a bunch of like people who had been called mystics throughout the ages and some of the things that it would talk about them. A lot of them are like saints now, maybe in the Catholic tradition. And so it's so interesting, like 
the the things that they would do to pare down their life to just like just that smallest bit of like what do I need to do to stay alive and then what do I need to do to stay in contact with God um and how important is it like do we make it a daily weekly experience or do we just kind of go into that space when we feel our worst or when things are really bad that's the other thing too like which is why I was speaking to the whole Jesus as genie, you know, like trying to be careful about just going to God or speaking when I feel like things are bad and I'm in, like in a corner, which is typically how I learn my lessons, to be honest with you, because I'm convinced I run my life. You would think <laughs> I would realize I don't, but so yeah, just having to be cornered and set down to have those conversations because it, it takes practice to build that in and say, you know what? No to the world. Let me go separate myself and have a moment. And in the Bible, my, just today, my church, the sermon was about that solitude and the six different reasons why Jesus would separate himself and take time with God. I'm like, crap, Ola, like that is our topic tonight. And that was my sermon at my church. And so nice. it was just, it was just really confirming like, yeah, if Jesus needed time and he was the man, I mean, what else? I mean, come on. So I was I was talking to my husband about that the other day because I was talking about, yeah, we're talking about individualism and blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, it's so crazy. Cause when you think about it, like Jesus was never alone. And I was like, well, yeah. Cause he traveled with, you know, 12, 12 mm-hmm. dudes and probably let's face it. Like a lot of women too, that didn't get to be in the Bible. Um, but, uh, you know, he's traveling with a lot of people all the time and, you know, and then we're like, Oh, but he did go off, you know? And then Ben was like, okay, but think about that. Like if you are, um, like if you're a Christian that believes in the Trinity, like he actually wasn't alone at that point either. Like that was more just like, okay, let's go and be with like the real, like the three, like let's, you know, still wasn't truly solitude. So that just, I was just thinking, as I was thinking about that, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. So and one of the points that they made in the sermon was solitude with God is not being alone anyway. Mm. It's you and God. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But the ability to cut off everyone else and use that word, no, that sometimes we struggle with. Yeah. Just being able to say no. Yeah. Oh, that's hard. Cause we want to, well, I know for myself, I say we a lot. No, but for myself, I'm a people pleaser. And if people ask me to do things, I want to do it. I want to make people happy, but, um, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta focus on other things as well. Um, oh, I got snaps from Maddie. Sorry. I'm, I just saw that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. I love snaps from Maddie. So, um, so I don't know. Do you feel like you've Deja learned about mysticism now because of this? Cause you had to, or. Nah, no? I think it's just another way to say prayer as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, I just think it's just another fancy way to say spending time with our deity, with our God. Yeah. And yeah. Take time. Yep. And this one of those fancy Christian lingo words maybe that we don't need to work so hard with. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right. All right. I get it. Uh, but I have liked, I have liked learning about some of these different people. I have a whole book about Teresa of Avila and <laughs> that it, I didn't know, but technically she's a mystic. So I was like, Oh, well let's see what Teresa of Avila has to say about this. So <laughs> Oh, and Maddie wrote, mysticism is about coming back to my body, prayer, prayer from the, from the tradition I came from was disembodied and fragmented. 
interesting. Mysticism also is about play for me. And yeah, so right. As my drama therapy heart is very excited about the embodiment and the play and the, the fun things, like just sitting down and creating, I think, can be mysticism. So I love that. Okay, looks like we're all-ish back, maybe. I think we're all back. Okay. Um, great. So just like we did before, if y'all want to use the chat or you want to verbally say some of the things that your group came up with about mysticism, that would be awesome. To me, prayer is talking to God, meditation, mysticism-ish, mysticism-ish, <laughs> and listening to God. I like that. Mysticism-ish. Eh, we're ish. Ex oh, wait. Uh, mysticism. beyond intellectual knowing. So there is, I know when I talked to Nick about mysticism, he mentioned that too. The journey of not having, question, uh, having answers to our questions. And what is that like to sit in that, to not have an answer? So I love that intellectual, beyond intellectual knowing. Yeah, I get real frustrated with that. I like to think I'm in control. <laughs> I'm like, okay, God, I gave you a week. Aren't you? <laughs> I mean, you are the all-knowing. Come on, give me some answers here, buddy. So yeah, I understand, Emily. Uh, Darcy says spending time in nature. So good. Marilyn, like that, Ingrid. I practice contemplative or cent oh, oops, or centering prayer, clearing self so God can more fully enter or join with me. I like that kind of join with me. That sounds like a lovely invitation. An experience of deep connection with the divine, others, and all of creation. All of creation. Yeah, back to that. Talking about nature and... Yeah, I've even heard people say they have like a prayer closet or that special space that everybody in the family knows don't, don't mess with when you're in that space. And for some moms with young kids, that could be the bathroom, but whatever. You know, God doesn't judge us on where the space is. We just need to be able to take it and, and get an escape, so. Oh, yeah. You don't get to go to the bathroom alone a lot when you're, when you've got a kiddo. That includes hiding from spouses, too. Okay. <laughs> I need to get that in there. Maddie, I am reading a book right now on indigenous wisdom. Awesome. Give me a link. I'll buy the book. The author describes knowing the names of plants versus, ooh, knowing the songs of the plants. You can know the name, but do you know the songs? That feels like a form of mysticism from native traditions. That sounds amazing. Uh, so I definitely do want that book. <laughs> Savannah, creating space and becoming comfortable with the unknown. Being okay with not knowing. Okay, I get it. I get it. Being okay with not knowing. I get it. <laughs> You're being spoken to, Emily. I read the message. I, okay. Okay. <laughs> One thing I've noticed over time is that I have to allow mysticism to show up organically. I can't force practices from others, no matter how good they are. I feel that. I feel that, Taylor. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's move into the white supremacy culture piece. So part of this conversation was for us to recognize what is that grounding framework that keeps us pretty okay as human beings, 
and how can we use this concept of mysticism to truly hear from what that framework or that deity is. And now let's talk about the nasty stuff. How do we fight white supremacy culture? How do we fight that racism that shows up? And in particular, the two areas of rugged individualism and objectivity. So for me, when we go back to that conversation about assimilation, rugged individualism says that my way is the best way. Rugged individualism says I'm the only one who can do this. Rugged individualism says all I need to know is what I want and it really doesn't matter with everyone else. But it also allows us to separate as individuals and just kind of fit in wherever we get in. So there's this type of escape from responsibility almost. So as far as religion is to me, many of us call ourselves Christians, but you can tell from the earlier questions how we see those core beliefs. Some of us see it one way, whereas others see it another way. But we all still call ourselves a similar label. And so that individualism allows us to do that. My way, the way I do it, is the best way, and I'm the only one. But I would challenge us to think about individualism is actually the opposite of what Christianity at least teaches me, and that we are all a tribe. Um, one of the quotes that's used in my family is, it takes a village. And so me by myself, I'm not, I can't be an island or I won't be successful. Um, as it relates to objectivity, it's easy to say, well, let me take away my experience and my biases and just truly show up neutral. Or let me show up without any bias. That's crazy. We were all created as a unique individual and our lived experiences are important for us. And for many of us, we can admit that that's where a lot of our lessons came from. And so that objectivity is really counter to what being connected together in a body or believing that each other has value is actually the opposite. So anyway, that's where I come from those mm -hmm. two perspectives. Yeah. Um, so for me, individualism was something that I hadn't thought a ton about, but once I started thinking about it, you see it everywhere. It's like one of those things. Once you start paying attention, it's just everywhere. And I think it's so great that we've already come up with when we've talked about Christianity and then we've talked about mysticism and we've talked about these spiritual practices. We've already talked about the interconnectedness that we have and we've already talked about um, how we're connected to things, each other and to like living things and nature and how like we should be connected with those things. And so I love that because individualism says no like whatever's good for me is good and I don't have to think about those consequences. And for me, individualism shows up so much in this American dream theocracy kind of thing we have, right? Like I want this and this and I want to go forward and do more and progress and have more everything and consume and money and and that's kind of this american dream and when you think about all the things that it takes to have this american dream it really takes stepping on people to get to the american dream and saying well as long as i'm taken care of then that's okay it doesn't matter where this thing that i just bought was made or that the driver who delivered it to me is not paid a living wage or, you know, cause I have it now and it's good and it makes me happy. And that's really, 
it's really icky to think about. Like, it's really icky to sit with that. Um, but it is. And then like the whole, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, people think, uh, God helps those who help themselves. People think that's from the Bible. It's not, it's really, really not. (laughs) Um, you know, like Benjamin Franklin made it famous, but there was a guy before him that would say it a lot that's credited for it. And, but it's, it's, it's not a thing, you know? And so there's just so many examples of this Amer- like American exceptionalism or like you said, Daisha, in a, in a world where we also like, I as a white person can disconnect and say, well, I am a person who's fighting racism. I am doing anti-racist trainings. And so then I disconnect and I individualize myself from the fact that white people are doing harm and I need to include myself in that instead of stepping, you know? So that's, yep, that was a lot, but that's what I was thinking about. So as usual, you all know our pattern now. So we planted the seed on how we're making sense out of this. We now want you all to go into space and really talk about how that individualism and that objectivity shows up for you all. And again, we'll give you about 10 minutes And while you still can use the chat, I really would like to hear some more voices. So if someone can prepare to kind of tell us what came up in the group, that would be helpful. Oh, from Reverend Latia, African proverb, I am because we are. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's that tribal thinking, you know. And so uh, one thing that I've talked about, I don't know if it was here, the training I had earlier, but it's, it's not easy for me personally, um, as a black woman, to say that I'm Christian because Christian has so much history of being anti-black. I mean, a lot of the people who looked like me in earlier times were forced to be Christian so that they could get out of slavery. So it was more of a carrot than it was um, a conversion of volunteerism, you know? So I almost decided to reconsider being called a Christian and just go more with spirituality and focusing on the Bible as my framework because I got so frustrated with the whiteness that came with that and the frustration of my church and not addressing that. Uh, You can only hear so many stories about Peter and Paul before you finally say, okay, now what do I take to work with these people that are crazy? You know, like (laughs) figure out how to apply this in my everyday, you know, like I respect Peter, Paul, and all those other guys, they did some really good things, but how does that relate to me in 2020? And so I really had to do a deep, deep dive. I know one of my favorite guys that I found was um, James Cone, and he was a theological guy from back in the day. And man, that dude was bold. I mean, a lot of people are like, I kind of know what he likes, but on the other hand, he's a little too deep. I'm like, no, I like that dude. I go to all his sermons. And I also like the gentleman by the name of uh, Fred Price, senior. Man, Mr. Fred Price, I listened to him in college and they just would call it as it is and address racism head on and say, no, this is not a white religion. This was taken from people of color and diluted. And so we've been told that Jesus is white when Jesus technically, there's no way he could be white with blonde hair and blue eyes based on where he (laughs) arrived from. So just the truth. And once I said, oh my God, that's right. That's why for me, the word is so important because we, that individualism, we want to make it what we want to make it and then think that's okay. And we lose sight of the true message. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the most, the, the picture I always see of Jesus is like super white, 
brown hair, brown mustache, brown eyes. And I'm like, well, like probably brown hair, but also like probably brown skin. Like where are you getting this white Jesus from? Um, but, uh, oh yeah, yeah. There's a great um, poet named uh, Crystal Valentine who does a poem that's really beautiful about um, black Jesus. And she talks about how she heard, you know, a news commentator defending that Jesus was white. And so this was her response to it. And she talks about how could Jesus be white when he died in the most black way possible with his arms up and his mother weeping at his and feet. Innocent. And innocent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I mean, if you think about like, literally like way back, like this superiority, all of this came from people who claim to be Christians like white folk can take over this land from people of color because God told us. I mean, so manifest destiny. Th there you go. So we just try to pull God in and say, yeah, God told me, so move out the way. Uh, <laughs> no, the God you talk to and the God I talk to, honestly, not on the same page. So yeah, absolutely. yes, absolutely. Oh, I love it. <laughs> move, move. This is now mine. God said so. My God said so. I don't know who your God is, but mine said you need to move out the way. You're inferior. Yeah. So interesting. My God says no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's so it's so interesting. I, I love that this is dovetailing. I'm having this discussion in other groups too about um, uh, uh, putting indigenous people in missions, like taking, like literally kidnapping kids from native tribes and putting them in schools. And it was all about manual labor and being a good Christian and taking away anything culturally that they had left from their actual heritage like so yeah and i have a book that speaks to that of someone like rescuing the gospel from the cowboys of saying like no 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 no, we had it and then you tried to make it white mm -hmm. yeah so i mean lynchings were done right after church i mean if you look at some of those pictures people are wearing suits and sunday breast best outfits while they're hanging somebody like what god is that again like help me understand who told you that was okay and so yeah it's just man it's just scary it's just really scary and so then that individualism of thinking well the way my god is is better and the way yours is bad that's that's the confusion so people are like well what the crap i know yeah. a, a really good friend she's a muslim and she said growing up she has so many questions and a lot of people would just kind of say well just pray about it well that's not the answer like while yep. god is the answer god is not always the answer like he <laughs> wants you to do some work like you know fruits of your labor type stuff and so that um uh, oh, provided more like hard concrete I froze. um examples you know so yeah that's why i said i I don't, I don't know. I have a different perspective about religion because it's all connected. Like, I don't think that Christianity, everybody has to do that. You have to do what works for you and what makes you able to fit with everyone else. And so it works for me, but you know. Sherry says on Facebook um, that the divine, uh, it is about honoring the divine in each of us, honoring the fact that God works through each of us and that we are all vessels of God's love, having mutual respect. As long as that mutual respect is there. If you're killing and murdering people for different reasons, 
it it causes us to question, you know. So yeah, that's a good point. But I know it's just a lot of things out there where we don't want to be judgmental, but there are many of people who are just playing out evil and harmful. And just because you claim God doesn't make you, yeah. So we just have to protect ourselves and really be aware of what that could mean. Even with the objectivity, you know, God, one of the things in the Bible, it says that when you're trying to tell someone about your relationship with God, you should share your own story. Well, objectivity would take that away. You know, your own lived experience is a part of your testimony, a part of helping people understand why this works so well. And so to take that away and say, no, let's just be objective and clear all that emotion and all that background stuff out. That's just, you're, you're again, not taking people for their full authentic self. So we just have to be careful with that objectivity. I think we all have the bias. We just have to be responsible on that, our impact once we, our intentions, you know, just simply thinking we're a good person is not enough. Welcome back, Emily. I'm so sorry. My internet stopped everywhere. Everything just went whoop and then left. And I was like, listen, listen, I know that we're all talking about Emily needs to let control of things, but this is rude. <laughs> In the black church, we say, see, you must have say something wonderful and the devil's messing with you. That's what we would have said. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, okay. But I, I am back. So. <laughs> yeah, there was a comment from Facebook in that love and respect and that we should all see the God in each other. And I was just yeah. saying that is absolutely true. But some of us are just there are evil people out there who want to hurt and harm us. And so we have to be careful in that people just saying I'm this and I'm that and I meant well, that, that isn't enough. You know, that yeah. there are some other fruits and some other things that would, you know, confirm that relationship. So, yeah, I'm thinking about yeah, I'm thinking about how you uh, said right before I got kicked off, you were talking about, oh, just pray about it. Just pray about it. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think of a spiritual bypassing of just like being able to separate, you know, I as a, a white Christian and being confronted with racism. And if I say, oh, well, we're just, we're going to pray about it. We're going to, we're going to ask, we're going to ask God to take care of that. Yeah. And then you know, go on with my life, right? Using right. no change, right? Yeah. Using Christianity to be like, Oh, I got to swerve around this uncomfortable topic. <laughs> so that's really, that's really uh, frustrating. You see that happen a lot. Um, but yeah, I love, I love that idea of seeing, seeing the God and people around you. And if you do that, then you can't, if the say if you know if the same God that's in me is in you and this and that, then how can I, you know? Yeah, I just you just can't disconnect yourself from that. You can't say grace comes in too. Like we have to be graceful because we at some point we were somewhere at a different level too, and in future we'll be at a different level than we're in now. We have to allow people to kind of enter in where they are and find a way to connect that way, you know, not to be too judgmental. Yeah. Start saying things like, well, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. Like that's, that is not helpful at all. Oof. That is, that is ugly talk. Uh, right. I think everybody is popped back. Woohoo. So, okay. You chatters, like you can go ahead and throw it in the chat, but we want to hear some voices now. So what volunteers come on groups. 
talk to us. Unmute and tell us. Yes, ma'am, Angela, go for it. Hi. Um, one thing I thought about with this question was um, toxic DIY culture and the, the idea that's very popular right now that like if people want to do DIY projects, like more power to you if you enjoy that as a hobby, but the idea that there's something holier or better that like you do everything yourself, it's actually like a very capitalistic, individualistic idea of resource hoarding. Like I'm saving money by doing this project myself instead of supporting a local business that could do it, supporting a worker that is feeding their family and is also likely way better at it and will do it faster. <laughs> um, I mean, that might not be the case for everyone, but I think about that a lot of like friends who have the attitude of like, well, I'm not going to pay someone else to do this. I'll just like watch YouTube videos and like figure it out. And that's fine. Again, if that's like a hobby you enjoy or something that you like to do, but it's not holier, it's not better. And it really removes us from the community that we live in, especially during COVID for folks who do have resources to share. Like maybe now is the time to hire some workout because that person needs to support their family and that is their livelihood. Oh, thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Others, come on, groups. Go Sharon. ahead, Sharon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, um, that just reminds me of something we were talking about in our group. Um, uh, a couple of us have elderly mothers that are. Um, we're noticing that the caretakers are all of color, and that our mothers may or may not have noticed that our generation 50s 60s are starting to realize that that is the way it is and are we contributing as individuals to the problem by not noticing it and well like my mother turned 85 a couple days ago she wanted to go to ihop because she got a coupon for ihop everybody working at ihop is of color and I was just musing about whether well, does my right to go out to eat with my mother, which I really didn't want to do because I've been keeping her out of the world, basically, to keep her healthy, is her, her need to go out to eat, override somebody that has to go to work because they don't have a choice. And they're, they're being, um, is that white supremacy? just am I supporting that mentality because it's very clear that most of the patrons in there were white and everybody working there was of color. So, um, you know, I just wonder what my role in that is. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by it's like we have to take the good with the bad because on one hand you're like I have the privilege of choosing to be out in space and risk certain things whereas other people are forced but then at the same time if you don't go then they won't get paid to pay for their family so you almost can't win for losing and so you just have to you know do do your best and maybe ask questions and, and advocate for people when you can but you're absolutely right like it's this cycle of should I, should I not chicken and egg type situation. Other groups? Leave a big fat tip. <laughs> there you go. There you go, Miss Kathy. <laughs> I did, and I thought about that specifically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Emily. So here's, here's our, our final question for our, uh, conversation and this is how are we 
um, juggling or how are we mixing, juggling, squishing, whatever, being a Christian and fighting racism, especially when we talk about individualism and objectivity. So what antidotes to these white supremacy characteristics do you think Christianity or Christian mysticism, um, spirituality offer? What are the ways that we're using this spiritual, um, our spirituality to combat this? And also, how are we using it to, to help us as we continue to push forward in this work of being anti-racist and not uh, just non-racist, right? The difference of working actively against racism versus just being a passive person who says I'm not racist. Um, so for me, um, there, there's a lot. Uh, I, when this whole thing started, uh, COVID, what I'm talking about, um, I thought that because I am generally an introvert, uh, that I would be totally fine and that nothing like I'm that, that's fine like I don't generally like need to be around people and I'll just stay at home and I'd much rather like watch a movie than hit the clubs or whatever I'm too old to hit the clubs let's be honest but um it really uh has been shown to me by this that I, that I still need people um, I need to be able to be around and see my friends and I need to be able to see my family, uh, make sure, you know, I see my parents and what they're doing, or I see my sister and my sister's kids. And like, I have a little one and I want her to be able to see her cousins and all this kind of stuff. So it has been, um, definitely imprinted upon me that I cannot do it by myself. Um, which I think is a good thing to know. And so one of the things that I've been doing, we already talked about the exam and it has been very important for me in setting intentions in this um, because I can feel like a firefighter because it feels like everything's on fire right now. Because yeah, everything's just on fire and, and everything needs organizing and activism. And so, you know, it's helpful for me to think of it in terms of like, okay, what am I gonna focus on? tomorrow what am I going to focus on the day after that and that's been really helpful to me to not feel like I have to fight all the fires but um particularly in this um conversation of white supremacy culture and individualism I think that we see that a lot right now just in people refusing to do what they need to do to make sure other people are healthy, right? Um, and that just springs out of that individualism. So um, I see that my spirituality and the practices that I really use them to remember that it's not about what's good for me. It is, especially right now, especially right now, it has to be me thinking about other people. It has to be. Um, so that's 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 my answer-ish. 
So I want to change things up. Rather than send you all out, I want us to stay together. It's just 20 of us. And so I think we can bond with each other for this last question, because I think all of us are finding ways to deal with this mess of white supremacy culture. And I'm excited to hear how you all are using your religious connections, beliefs, and spirituality to do that. So Miss Allie Free, you pretty much wrote a book. So I absolutely want you to share. <laughs> tell me what is going on in that chat, lady. Come on, tell us. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about rugged individualism, I just like was thinking about my response of the pandemic and like when this whole start when this whole thing started and like even before I was just like, okay, like now I'm in my like late 20s coming to my early 30s like okay so what do I need to do to like figure out my life and like figure out my financial future and stuff and like, and so I made it like a lot of moves and like did a lot of stuff to like set myself up for the future or like whatever the heck the future means now like that's all way more uncertain than it was like nine months ago um and i feel like i i did a lot of like what you're supposed to do like what you're supposed to do with your money when you're in your late 20s and like all that kind of stuff um and i just also like think back to where like the kind of models of community that i would see when i was like 10 years ago when I was really involved in like cooperatives and communal living. And I mean, I just feel like you should, you should be careful with your money and like with, and like you should think long-term um, as far as, you know, cars and insurance and like whatever. But like, I feel like what really protects you is connection and like having people around you who are going to love you and support you and like be there emotionally. And I, have not gone in that direction personally. Um, and I feel like I was starting to, and then the pandemic came. And so I just like went super hard on the other, like, okay, like do I do the things that I'm supposed to do? And I'm happy to have that I've done the stuff that I'm supposed to do, but like, I also feel like there's this big thing missing. And I feel like I am going to be, I, I if I don't get my community right, and if I don't get my like networks and my friends, like super close and like build those relationships then the future is going to look a lot less certain no matter all if i've done like the right stuff in the meantime if that makes any sense <laughs> i know that was another book <laughs> no that's okay that's that. okay people were nodding as you were talking absolutely <laughs> others i like reverend reverend let's see it wearing a mask is a spiritual practice that helps me think about others i love that that is true, because that is why they ask us to wear the mask. It's not just for us, but it's for those we interact with. Yeah. It's, it's, it literally doesn't help us. It helps everybody else, hopefully, and we can't even. We're assuming we're the problem, and we're protecting others from us being the problem. Absolutely. I love that. I think another thing, um, just I'll share a little bit, but you all, one more comment, at least before we close <laughs> up um, and pass it back over to I have one from Facebook. Go oh, ahead, Facebook. Go ahead. From Sherry again. She said, I think my Christianity and fighting racism are married to one another. They are one. Jesus' entire life was based on not judging others uh, in terms of like racism, sexism, or just two of the isms that people judge others by. Absolutely. And because of that fight, he was dead. He, was, he ended up dead. And so we have to think about what that means. It may not be a literal death, but there will be some hurt, some pain, some blood, and some cutting. And so if we've signed up to do that fight, 
and couple those things together, our Christianity and the fight against racism, just know that it's not a welcoming thing of the world. You know, there's a difference between being of the world and, and, and being about our religious beliefs. And so that's definitely a struggle, not only with other people, but also within ourselves. We fight with ourselves with that same battle. So we have room for one more comment if someone else wants I, I, to. Oh, I, I have a short one. Which yes, is something yes, that's uh, always surprised me with uh, how Christianity and racism have seemed to be in the same uh, room, same bed, and, and living together, they thought harmoniously. I could never understand how a Christian could also be a racist. But then I think um, the thing that, that I see Christians having to do is first to admit that they are racist until one cannot start working on the problem until they uh, realize and admit the problem. And, and a lot of it uh, we see as they, I guess it's commonly known now as unconscious bias. Some of it I think is really conscious, but then there are some that I will admit that I have noticed because I've known some good white people. Uh, and I think some of their biases have been unconscious, but but first the thing is is admitting, and then once that's out of the way, then can start working on how to rectify. Thank you. Just, I just, that I is, would, yeah. The last thing I would say is I just want to thank you all for letting me in this space. It is not easy for me as an African-American woman to be in space with majority white folk from a spiritual perspective at work and everywhere else in my life is fine. But typically when it comes to my spirituality, it's not common. And I've shared with Emily and a couple of other open table friends that I have been at every one of these series and every series I felt uncomfortable. And so I challenged myself to be one of the speakers because I truly want to be connected and just, just be in fellowship with people who think different than me. So I just want to thank everybody for allowing me the space. And I'm done talking now, um, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, there's some really good things going on in the chat too. So there's been, we're in a hard reset, how to reassess everything. Um, seen a story about a man who placed a basket of fruit at a tree and then staged a race among a group of children with the winner getting the best fruit. When the race started, the kids took each other by the hand and ran together to the tree. When asked why they did that, the response was, is one of us, if one of us got the best fruit, the others would be sad. Wow. Thinking about what does it mean to be a white artist in the middle of a racial uprising and social change? What does it look like to create and be an artist and share work and support black and other POC artists as well? I think how I have been even viewing those questions and have been doing it through an individualistic frame. And then everybody is saying, thank you, Daisha. <laughs> and spelling it phonetically like it is on your, um, on your screen name. <laughs> okay, so Daisha, did we, I can't remember the answer to this question. Did we talk about sending it to a closing, but then also saying we'd stick around if anybody had any questions or anything afterwards? Yes, that we would allow like our Facebook okay. persons to go ahead and disconnect because we, you know, time technically is at 730. But for yeah. our Zoom family, if they want to stick around and we dig a little more and discuss, that we'd be happy to stick around if you all wanted to for, you know, 20 minutes or so. Okay. Well, Deja, I saw you had some Malcolm X quotes. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. I was looking. That's what I was sticking around for. (laughs) Where where were they? I didn't. I I I put two of them in the chat. Um, One of them. One of them was there is no better adversity. Every defeat, every heartbreak, every loss contains its own seed, its own lesson on how to improve your performance next time. And then there was another one that I put in. Now, where did it go? <laughs> stumbling is not there. falling. That was the second one that I put in. Mm. Stumbling is not falling. Um, and then I found a whole bunch of them. But those were the two that kind of really spoke out to me. They just encourage people that this work is hard. Mm-hmm. And what your race is, it's, it's just a hard fight. And you're going to have so much pushback and people who aren't with it. And, you know, similar to being a Christian, once we became converted, whatever got us there to where we are, then we want to go share the good news. And people are like, ah, just yesterday you was at the club. Now you want to so. <laughs> Just trying to encourage people. Yeah, I guess the I guess the person who you are just quoting is a, probably a perfect example of how change can can come. Because we know Malcolm made a what 180 degree uh, yeah. change in in his in his life. Yeah. Such a brilliant. Yeah. Well, we know better. We do better. Absolutely. Yeah, he was, Absolutely. he was he was he was so smart. So smart. So I um I was interested because I recently watched the Who Killed Malcolm X. Uh, oh, on Netflix. And yes. Like I, it's just so in talking about like individualism and and white supremacist um, society and all of that. When I originally had thought of Malcolm X, like my husband and I talk a lot about like how we grew up and what we learned in school and how obviously like white supremacy even manifests in how we were educated as young children. Um, when I remember hearing about Malcolm X, like it was kind of a negative, like he was like really aggressive and assertive and he was, you know, like it wasn't, there wasn't really a lot of positive affiliated with him and what he did. So as an adult, you know, like going back and kind of breaking these things down and relearning a lot of this and having to do it on my own volition, um, I saw that that was out. I had heard some great things about it. And so I watched it and I was, and it was, and I'm like, I am 32 years old and I'm like getting to the point where I'm, you know, I, I've been delving into things for a number of years, but it's just like, I learned so much about his courage and just, I mean, just these figures that, you know, were in history and and did all these incredible things and yet they were like they had all this negative connotation to them like to me as a a white girl growing up in a very small town in nebraska um which is another piece of that and so it's like i'm like speechless because i'm just it's hard to like I, I loved watching it and everything, but then at the same time, I was just like, "This was not. This was not the man I learned about." You know, like it, it's nuts. I love that you said that, Darcy, because especially coming from as a black person, like it just amazes me how people don't understand how someone would be angry about injustice. Like yeah. to be like even the Black Panthers, you know, they kill, they murdered them. Like our government yeah. murdered them. And if you yeah. truly watch the movies about them. They were the ones that came up with feeding children in school. Like, so because people are angry about being treated like crap, 
People don't understand. Like you can be angry and still love. Like those things coexist. And so I love that you said that because if you truly learn about these different people, I mean, Jesus, for God's sakes, he got angry. Nobody's giving him a hard time, you know? And so I don't know. I, I just love that you said that because when we go as adults and go back and unlearn what we were taught, it is, it's, it's a real like smack in the face. Like, why did, why was I taught this? Like our history alone, American history is so freaking biased. It eliminates anybody that doesn't look like a certain character. And that's just not, so yeah, that work we have to do to fill in those lost gaps K through 12, it's just, it's crazy. I appreciate you mentioning yeah. it. I think that's going to be the hardest thing for, for white people to, to do is to unlearn all that, uh, that they have, that they have learned. And it, it is just amazing because they are always amazed. I grew up in Louisiana and some of the things that I tell them that happen, they just can't, well, first they can't understand how I lived this long, got this far, you know, and, and, and so much stuff that they have been told that was not, that was not true. And, and, you know, uh, I think, I don't know, oh, I think that was Emily who mentioned about people uh, pulling up, being pull, pulling up by their own bootstraps. And I mentioned in our group that, of course, they don't stop to think that they are those people without boots. And the thing that, and I also mentioned in our group where that has been done. And I, and I uh, said, probably everybody knew about uh, Tulsa because uh, when Trump was going there, a lot of that came. But then there were other places where the same thing happened, where Black people were getting ahead. Colfax, Louisiana, which is where, uh, where I, near where I grew up. And then in Texas, they 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 burned more than just Tulsa. It's it's been a lot of that. And uh, uh, as Darcy said, uh, Dacia said, that's not uh, that's not in our history books. N none of that. No, I, I have three comments to what you just said, Miss Josephine. One of them is all black folk don't get it either. You all like some no. of us are swimming in that same water and are clueless also. And then yeah. the other piece is there's not a whole lot of spotlighting of white abolitionists either. You don't hear about how there were white folk who helped the slave. I mean, you said the underground <laughs> rail, like you don't even hear that. So it's like this whole elimination of the fight, like as if white folk, I mean, black folk were happy to be slaves and we always like this. <laughs> no, people fall. People uh, step and fetch it. Kill people. Yes, I mean so absolutely. It's I'm almost reinforcing the black versus white narrative because you're not hearing blacks and whites coming together. They're always separated, you know. And and I mean, even going on with the the individualism piece we were talking about. The other thing we, you know, Nick and I have talked about is like. I remember saying the Pledge of Allegiance and then having to sing a patriotic song and like just all of these little pieces of propaganda that were in my life growing up that very much, you know, was like, you need to be patriotic, you need to be an, an individual, love America, you know, and I'm not saying I disagree with that. It's mm -hmm. just the way that it was presented and reinforced and just... It was, I guess it was like, you can't love America and of people who are different as well, you know? Right. And I mean, like I said, I grew up in a small rural white town. And so um, I'm very thankful that within my own family, there's some diversity um, as far as um, skin color and ethnicity and whatnot, because I think that's how I kind of was able to like understand a little bit. I mean, obviously I don't understand a lot, but like, <laughs> 
but living in a white town, like it's all white people. They're all people like you. And they very much force that narrative of like, we are, we have pride in this country. And, and then, then I grew up and I started to learn like how violent some of these people were. And Mm. it's just, it's, um, it's been an interesting journey just, you know, especially moving out of small town and, and coming to a city and learning more about all of this. And, um, so, yeah, so I really appreciate all of this conversation um, because it's super important and it's it's just something we need to talk about because it's 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 been way too long to of just not talking about it. Mm-hmm. I learn new things every day that I go, I should have learned this in yeah. school. Uh, the the only uh, coup d'etat on American soil was in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it was uh, it was a black run city that a bunch of white people came in and did a coup. That's the only coup there's ever been in American soil, and we don't talk about it, even though that should be a huge deal, right? That there is actually a coup d'etat, you know, and it was because white people couldn't stand it. Um, and just sorry, I'm just thinking of things, I go back to your original comment of like, Mm -hmm. when I was in school, Malcolm X was almost presented as an antithesis to Martin Luther King Jr. That they're like, oh, here's Martin Luther King Jr. That was some truth truth to that. That was some truth to that because they they were just from different, Malcolm X had had grown up in New New York and and King being in uh, in the South. The, uh, their, their ideas were were really different. Usually, if if one were a follower of Malcolm, that you were not a follower of King. It all has to do with what they knew. Malcolm knew apartments and and living all on top of each other. King knew homes and people in the South where it was spread out. So they did have they did have different uh, outlooks on on life. And I think that went through the whole thing. I don't think they ever really. Uh, both came to the same conclusion as this is uh, the way it has to be done. Malcolm was more in a, in a hurry to do things and Malcolm said by any means necessary. I don't think he ever really changed that. I think he changed some of the idea about the white people being a devil. And you know, once he made his, his trek to Mecca, he came back uh, with a lot of different ideas around that. But I still don't think uh, he was for waiting a long time and, and even King came to the uh, to the conclusion is why we can't wait, which was one of his uh, books or essays or something. But they were two—they were two different people. They—they they really were. And 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 that's, uh, I used to say Stokely Carmichael spoke for me, but uh, neither one of them spoke for all all black people. Some of them did speak for one part of us, and the other one did speak for the for the other part of us. Yeah. And I don't know that I don't know that Malcolm ever became nonviolent. I. I would have, well, um, uh, 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 Darcy, you saw the movie. I, I don't know how, it, you know, whether it, it came into out in that movie, whether he became nonviolent, but I, I never, I never live in that, during that time, I don't ever remember. Yeah, that. I mean, they kind of portrayed it as like, he definitely did speak about things a little more. I would, I don't know if I'd say violently, but maybe more aggressively, like he was just, like, you know, no, I, like, said, I said the nonviolent because that's what King said all the time. You know, yeah, sure. Nonviolent. I never heard Malcolm say, let's not be. No, he, I mean, he was 
he was mad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, duh. Right? Rightly so, so. Rightly so. <laughs> yeah. And so, but it was, it was just, um, yeah. And, and it was great. It was a great, I think it was a docu-series. I think there were multi, like six episodes to it or something. And, mm. um, but yeah, it is, it's. Oh, oh I, was going to tell Emily, I'm, I'm, I was going to tell Emily, I'm sorry for jumping in like that, but I didn't want to make that point. They, they were, they were. Yeah. It, it, yeah, and they definitely the difference I think being taught in school, even I mean, how we were taught about Martin Luther King was still a very whitewashed version of yeah. MLK and, and teaching us the very acceptable, nice quotes and, and not talking a lot about the rest of his letters or the other things he did or the protests or how he made people you know, it was just kinda like oh, what oh, got was this? <laughs> Yeah, what they yeah. And who killed him? We never learned about that. Right. We just learned, oh, he was assassinated. Okay, cool. You know, they never, they never, um, I won't say never, but very seldom do they talk about his, uh, his feeling toward the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Or you, I don't, you don't, you never heard a lot about that because that, that didn't fit into the narrative. Right, right. We didn't, we didn't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, don't talk about that. Yeah. So but it's, that's it's just interesting, interesting though, because there's that religion piece that also plays in there because Malcolm X was Muslim. So I almost wonder if maybe that's why he was viewed more negatively as well, because we've got that religion yeah. piece in there. Oh yeah. Christian um, hegemony is real for sure. Right. And you know, when you think about white America, you know, and Christianity, I put that in quotes on purpose. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's what you think of is like white Christian, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, live, get the American dream. You know, it's it's so it, it's a lot of propaganda, and that's what we grow up with. And I mean, this I and I don't I don't want to point fingers at people. I mean, I I had great teachers, I had great educators. I lived in a great community. It's just when you get out of it and you're able to look at it from the outside, things look different. And the thing thing about education, the books that schools use all over the country were from from Texas. Yes. So Mm -hmm. whatever your teacher wanted to teach you, (laughs) your teacher was obligated to teach you from that book that the district had said they had to to use. If you had teachers that taught you other things, it's because they went off course and they, you know, put their neck out there and said, well, I know this too. So let me add this because yeah, all the textbooks were approved and yeah, it's a, it's a whole marketing scam. Like that's so intertwined with capitalism too, about the books we choose to teach our kids in school. It's just kind of mind blowing. Um, The whole, whole, I was going to say the whole uh, educational system you know, it was all, all built around General Motors, how they how they ran the assembly line yep. in uh, in Michigan. So that's uh, that's that's the beginning of the end. You know? yeah. That's the way we were being taught. <laughs> I am um, in the same book I mentioned now three times this evening. It's a good book, y'all, and I'm not even, I'm barely halfway through, and it's it's real good. But she's a uh, um robin she she her her children are now grown but in the book she remembers one of her daughters in i believe it was sixth grade um she got a call from her sixth grade teacher saying that her daughter was like refusing to stand for the pledge of allegiance and then other sixth grade students were joining in and the teacher didn't like scold her but she was like you know i just thought you might want to know and 
So she just was like, you know, she was fine with it. She was like, well, I will at least have a conversation with my daughter and ask her why she's chosen this. And her daughter was like, mom, it's a lie. Like, well, I'm not going to stand for this if it's not justice for everyone, you know? And so she's, she's a member of the Potawatomi nation, which is um, originally from like around Michigan Lake. And now they've been with the the trail of death. They've been placed in Oklahoma, but she was, she's in uh, upper New York, um, New York state. And so she was mentioning there's a, a tribe that she neighbors. It's not her, her native tribe, but she asked permission to write about this ritual that they have. And I can't recall the name of that tribe right now. Um, but they have, uh, there's a, there's a grade school, um, on that reservation. And she went and witnessed, um, their ritual. I don't know if they do it every day or if it's weekly, but they're, they have a, um, an allegiance of Thanksgiving. And so, and the, and it's an elementary school and the grades switch on who does it every time they do it. So the one she witnessed was third graders and she said, it's long. Like she like, and she wrote it out to you in sections, but they think, they think everything, you know, they, they go through the wind, the sun, the moon, the plants, the animals, um, and each like stanza ends with, and we are one. And she was just kind of like musing about like what would change in America if we didn't pledge allegiance to a flag and to, into war, but we pledge allegiance to each other and to the land. And she was even saying that like before in like even the tradition in the tradition of this larger tribe, um, before any like conflict or anything, even if it's with someone else that's like not in their tribe, they will do this pledge of this allegiance of Thanksgiving before every ceremony or ritual. And suddenly any like tension you have in your throat like has to be released because you've just spent 10 minutes thinking things and think not even things, thinking living elements around you. And I was like blown away by that because I've even been thinking I grew up in Texas and I grew up in a Christian private school as well. So I didn't just pledge allegiance to the flag. It was to the flag, to the Christian flag, to <laughs> Bible, and to the Texas state flag. And like, Oof. even the Christian no, flag, the Bible, it, yeah. it what's is. The name of the, what's the name of the book? Emily just put it into the chat, Braiding oh. Speakers. Oh, okay. You know what? Um, uh, there was something you said, uh, the trail of death. I've never heard... Uh, uh, and I, I'm assuming that's the same thing as the Trail of Tears. You know, they always call it Tears. But then so many people did die along the way. Yeah. But, you know, I'm learning more and more about um, uh, First Nations people uh, every day. For instance, like I just learned recently that if a tribe uh, is recognized by the United States, then that tribe uh, does not own the land. The land then is, is uh, for the Department of Interior that manages it and then it allows the Native Americans to, to live on it. That was something just recently where this tribe in, in uh, California paid, I think it was $4.5 million for two square miles, you know, their land that they had to buy back from the, from the United States because somewhere, some treaty, we know how those treaties went. And yeah. um, America, the United States ended up with the land and they had to, purchase it back from them. I had no idea that if they were recognized, they could not own, could not own land. Now I'm going to go over to the chat room and get the name of that book. <laughs> yeah, well, and Robin actually refers to it as a trail of death in her book, which is why, and I, I mean, for me, I was like, that's what it is. Like even saying trail of tears is like, yeah, yeah. they did more than cry. They, they died as well as cried. <laughs> yeah. 
I have uh, just ordered it on Audible. <laughs> so I was I just got back from a really long I just ordered it on Kindle so right there <laughs> I um I ordered well so I just got back from a really long camping trip we were 20 hours away and on the drive back my partner drove most of the way back and I like read this book out loud in the car for like most of our drive and oh, I like my... weeping reading my out children uh, my children buy all my books so I will I will just I just have to mention it and and <laughs> And, and and I will get it because I happened to mention about the color of law. We were just talking about it, and the next day there it was uh, brought here by Amazon, as well as my a second uh, book of uh, White Fragility. I already had one, so you got a second one of those. And then uh, I've been trying to finish reading because uh, now everybody jumped over to How to Be an Anti-Racist by. Um, uh -huh. yeah, I'm still, I've been since since uh, November. I've been trying to read Step from the Be I mean Step from the beginning, okay. and of course people are having a fit about tearing down those uh, monuments. That was old Jefferson Davis when he was in the Senate, and they were trying to get him to uh, give money for education for the black children in D.C. And he's going, oh, you know, this is not a this is a white country, and uh, education is for white people, and it's been stamped from the beginning that, you know, we were different, that the white people were important in my, my paraphrasing, white people were important and black people were not. Jefferson Davis said, I thought they need to go around the country and tear every one of his statues down, you know, wherever they are. But. Mm. Okay. Well, I also want to honor they should have yeah. time. We're yes. Yeah. Up at 8 PM. I don't know if y'all need to hop off soon. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks guys. Yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed it. All right, see you guys later. Thanks for converting. Have a good day, everyone.